Ministry Mentorship, Episode 51. Hello and welcome to this episode of Ministry Mentorship. This is Jacob Tapia and you're listening to a podcast dedicated to connecting apostolic leaders with young ministers for the purpose of developing their ministry. In this podcast, we're going to be talking with Pastor Steve Smith. He is the founding pastor of the Westchester Church in Valhalla, New York, and he is a church planter, a visionary leader, and he has a tremendous desire to train and develop leaders in the church. And it was, uh, I was very excited to have had the opportunity to speak with him uh, in this interview, and he's going to give some great resources and ministry insight And uh, we want to make those available to you in the show notes. So any of the resources he recommends, contact information, we're going to put that in the show notes. And you're welcome to connect with that. It's just going to be a great interview, and I hope you'll uh, receive what he has to say today. So let's join the conversation now. We're here today with uh, Pastor Steve Smith, and he is the pastor of a church in the New York metro area that he started uh, several years ago. And he is the Metro Missions Coordinator for the United Pentecostal Church International. Uh, He has a love for young people, developing leaders, and just has a passion for ministry. And we're so honored that he could be with us today. Brother Smith, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, my friend. Awesome. Now, we're we're just coming out of the—we're recording this on September 13th and just coming out of the 9-11 weekend. Uh, Tell us a little bit about— what happened down there in the New York metro area? Well, this being the 15th anniversary, there seemed to be a lot more focus on it. And, of course, for the churches, it fell on Sunday. So uh, it was a, a very convenient time. Many of our churches participated in the Appreciation Sunday and had a good turnout uh, from the first responders uh, in our communities to be in those services. Uh, so it was a great opportunity for us to um to honor them and remember the impact uh, mm. that 9-11-2001 had on us 15 years ago. Yeah, it was, you know, <laughs> I was in a, a marriage and family class in Bible school <laughs> when all that took yeah. place. And, wow, what an impact. Well, that's, one of the, that's the interesting thing. It's it, You never forget. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the slogan, but one of the things we did in our church during our meet and greet time is we had... Um, anyone who was old enough to remember that, to tell people exactly where they were when mm. they found out that the second plane went into the second tower. Because I've never met anybody that can't remember exactly where they were when they found out. Mm. Uh, it's just an amazing thing how those kind of moments impact us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, talking about, you know, those moments of time Every one of us has a, a life story, and one thing I'd like to to hear is a little bit about your story. So, uh, if you could, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, uh, kind of how sure. how your life has gone. Well, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. Basically, um, was there until about my second grade year in the Memphis Metro. Uh, then we were in uh, Western Kentucky, Southern Illinois, until my ninth grade year. Uh, came back to Memphis, and right out of high school, I became a youth pastor uh, at a church in uh, the Memphis Metro, uh, West Memphis, Arkansas, with the McCools, and was there 
until I left to start deputizing as a Metro missionary. And so was on staff there for over 10 years. And so that's, that's our life story in a nutshell. I have a beautiful wife and three uh, wonderful boys that are age 15, 11, and 7. And uh, that's my story. That's awesome. Uh, so, so when you started the church, how long ago was it that you uh, began your deputizing and, and working for Metro Missions and going to New York? Yes, when we when we started deputizing, my oldest son was two months old, which I would not advise. Oh that. wow! Um, <laughs> not as far as on our end, but on grandparents' end, it was not was not the thing to do necessarily. Uh, so when we arrived here. He was two, and he was ecstatic to be anywhere uh, that was home because he'd been from hotel to hotel. At the age of two, somebody would come to the door, and he would take them by their hand and take them to his room. He wanted people mm. to know he had a room. Uh, so, But they've been very involved in church planning from day one. And I saw a quote, uh, I'll probably butcher it, but uh, that said, if you want your children to be saved, get them involved in uh, building the kingdom mm-hmm. like Noah's, like Noah did his family, just a phenomenal concept, and um, they've been involved every step of the way. That's wonderful. You know, working for the last six years in pastoral ministry, now I'm evangelizing, uh, we have, we've seen a lot of children that are a part of people's ministry when they come through the church, and and I think that's one thing we need to keep in mind, too, is that it's not just uh, that minister and their spouse, but these children are are very involved in the church and and they're paying the price too, being on the road and and ministering. Brother Smith, talk a little bit about how you first got started in ministry. Well, I was surrounded by ministry. My my father was not a, a pastor, but he had gone to Bible college, and um, he was one of those guys that made serving God just look like a joy. And that's all he did. You know, there were times we were in a smaller church one time in Kentucky, and he happened to be the the uh, student, or we called it youth leader back then, youth leader of the Sunday school superintendent and the uh, the yard guy. Um, and he wasn't in control of power. He didn't care about that. When the church grew, he gave all those roles away. But he never complained about it. He loved that. Uh, my grandfather was uh, a pastor and pastor in Carroll, Illinois, for years, uh, and so I'd been surrounded by it, but that's not what I wanted to be. I, I wanted to go into business. That was kind of my my dream, wanted to uh, be a business executive. Uh, when we moved back to Arkansas, uh, the beginning of my 10th grade year, right before that, I had um, the you know, the stereotypical conversion experience uh, for a Pentecostal young person. I'd received the Holy Ghost much earlier, um, and was baptized at the age of 11, um, received the Holy Ghost at the Illinois District Campground. And, but from that point, for a few years, I really wasn't as in church as I should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before I moved to Arkansas, so my mom and dad invited me to go to a little bitty church in Glendale, Illinois. There was this young evangelist that I'd never heard of that was preaching. 
Um, and so I went. I went with my girlfriend, and uh, I was, I'm telling you, I was living as long as I, as my mom would let me live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because there wasn't peer pressure. There was mama pressure. Um, and um, I, I didn't know who the guy was. I'd actually sung a song in the service, and uh, Mark Morgan strolled in as a young evangelist and just wore me out that night. Mm. Um, and I prayed and not, uh, slobbered and snot was going everywhere and really gave my life to God. And then just a few weeks later, I went to Illinois District uh, Senior Camp, and Anthony Mangan and God got a hold of me. Uh, I wasn't called to preach then, but I was definitely sold out to whatever that God had for mm. me. So when I went to Arkansas, they didn't know that that guy that had lived on the edge. They only knew the guy that was sold out. Um, and through a process of time, making myself available, um, I just worked in every aspect of the church that I could, and then God called me to preach, and out of that, a ministry developed in that local church, um, and was I was there until I left to go come to New York. Oh, that's incredible! That's incredible, and I, and you know, I think what you said about being sold out—it seems like that's kind of a, a pivotal point in everyone's life before yeah. they are they get to where they are—is that before you can i and i i think when we get past the glamour and the glitz and what we think is this high job of ministry or pastoring right. or sitting on the platform at conference you know if you look back at the beginning there's always that point of consecration dedication Absolutely. that point where it's ugly it's uh but it's raw and it's it's yes. selling out everything that's so important who are some of those people in your early ministry uh, that impacted your life, and why would you say they had an impact? You know, my pastors have always uh, been the impact of my life, and because we moved some, uh, there's about eight people, men, who have been uh, pastors to me. Some of them have since passed away, but I think they were such an impact because I could get up close and personal with them. Mm-hmm. And I could I could see them, and I could have questions with them, and I did my best to serve them. Um, mm-hmm. And in the process of serving, uh, you just learn if you pay attention. You know, you pick up some things, and uh, they genuinely impacted my life. I, I would consider Bob McCool Senior my spiritual father, although my grandfather um, was in my life as well. Uh, Don Johnson mm-hmm. in Memphis uh, was in my life as well, and. Currently, uh, I, I consider Doug Davis uh, from New York and his father to be my pastor and bishop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, those, the pastors and spiritual leaders in my life are the ones who impacted me the most. This is one thing that, that I really feel like with ministry mentorship. I don't feel like this is a replacement for a pastor because you can never oh, no. replace that. And, and I want to make that clear uh, that our learning experiences— I think it's a it's a process, uh, but we all right. have to have someone that we're connected to. It, yes, I believe it, that. It's it's a it's a source of of anointing of strength, however you want to put it. Uh, but that pastor is going to play the role in your life uh, yes. of direction, and and sometimes pastors. What I found sometimes pastors aren't always going to you know, tell you, you know, you're going to do this and you're going to do this. Sometimes they, right. they may be very hands off, uh, but in right. the same, in the same time, at the same time, 
we have to be conscious of that, and we have to be conscious of that role uh, that they play in our lives. Would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that. And I do think there are other people that you um, idolize, if you will, emulate mm-hmm. from afar, uh, that this particular podcast helps in that, where you have the chance to hear them speak. And then if you ever have the opportunity to be closer to them, uh, just pepper them with questions, man. Mm-hmm. Ask all the questions you can. Learn everything you can from as many places that you can, particularly if they're reputable uh, influences, and um, grow from that. But to me, the pastor is the, the, the first connection and the one that really, when I look back, uh, my pastors have their fingerprints on my ministry way more than people do from afar. The, those from afar, yeah, they impacted me, but my pastors really, they formed me. What uh, were some of the challenges that you faced as a young minister, and how did you overcome those challenges? Well, you know, my ministry really um, came into its own uh, in West Memphis, Arkansas, under the McCools. And if you you know them at all, they are just life-of-the-party type people, very much uh, spontaneous. Um, and that's not me. I am, I'm not quite a total introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm what they would call an ambivert. I'm, I'm halfway <laughs> in between, really, uh, which I don't, you know, uh, just one of those weird terminologies. But I do recharge my batteries alone. Uh, so that would make me more of an introvert. And so I struggled with being comfortable in my own skin. Mm. You know, uh, the McCools, they didn't do a lot of teaching. Even when they did, it was very inspirational. And that's not a criticism. That's who they they are. And yeah, we would right. laugh about my my bishop uh, being asked to do a, a Bi- be a Bible teacher at a camp. You know, it's like, well, it didn't matter whether he was the Bible teacher or a preacher. He was going to do the same <laughs> thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I am I am more the stereotypical pastor, very more um, methodical about what I do. And so I had a few people that, that came around me, one being my pastor's wife. That would tell me, Steve, be yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't don't try to be my husband. Be, be yourself. And then there was a book by John Bevere entitled "Overcoming Intimidation" that really just helped me um, overcome all of that. And the gist of the book is that if God has called you to do that or do something, and you don't do it for the because of fear of men, then in reality that's rebellion. Mm. And I'm like, oh, okay, wow. all right, that's kind of hitting right where I'm living. And so um, it's taken me years to, to get to that point. But again, it was not because of anything in the McCools. The McCools were always cheerleaders and fans mm-hmm. and didn't think everybody had to be like them. It was my struggle. It was what I was seeing as my model, and I really wasn't totally that. And so that was the struggle and how I, I am learning to overcome that. I'm glad you're bringing that up because I think that is something we all have to find that niche, so to speak, and uh, that's very important, or or we feel frustrated. Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, we we cannot be somebody else. God will never, when we get to heaven, judge us because we want a better impersonation of somebody else, although Mm -hmm. you're a great impersonator. (laughs) But he will will judge us how good were we at at who he called us to be. Talk about your journey into church planning and, and... how did that all come together, and, and maybe we can talk about some of the challenges you faced in that as well. Sure. Uh, I never grew—growing up, I never wanted to be a church planner. Um, first of all, it wasn't even 
cool in that day and age. And my thoughts were, I don't want to start a church. I don't want to starve. I like eating. Um, and because that was my thought process. And so even as I was doing youth ministry and then became associate pastor of the church in Arkansas, I thought I would take a church someplace. And we finally arrived at that day where it was obvious to me and my pastor that it was time for me to find where God wanted me to pastor. Now, there were no problems. As a matter of fact, his words were to me, I wish you'd stay here forever, but I know what God's put in your heart, and I know it's time. You're ready. So I tried out for some churches, and that, that just I immediately knew that wasn't really the fit for me. And through a process, that, that's probably the big word in this whole thing, is just a process. Mm-hmm. God led my wife and I to really feel convinced that we were to start a church. But where? And so we started, we didn't have direction. We started praying about different places. We were in Arkansas. We wanted to stay there. We'd been in Wisconsin a lot. We wanted to love there. Uh, we had some places we had in mind. And then we were still on staff of the church. We decide one year to go on vacation, and vacation is like a highlight for me. You know, I, I spend the whole year planning. Uh, it's more fun to plan it sometimes than it actually is <laughs> yeah. to do it. But that particular year, for whatever reason, three weeks out, we still hadn't decided where we were going to go. And my wife said we we were planning to go, thinking about going to D.C. in New York City. And it's just been a hectic year. And I said, babe, I can't. I, I just can't this year. I uh, you know, we've been running all year long. I need to chill out a little bit. And so I got online and found some cheap tickets to the Northeast in, in uh, around Boston, near the Cape Cod area. We flew into to Boston. And so we decided we'd do it. And we spent five, uh, we spent a week just going to all the five New England states, just kind of seeing what we could see. And on the way home, flying home, we flew over to New York City and you know, back in those days when I went on vacation, it was kind of crazy, but I went on a vacation from God as well. So I hadn't read my Bible. I hadn't prayed for <laughs> that whole week. And so I, I was yeah. so carnal. And I'm looking out the window, and I, God starts getting a hold of me. I start crying. Well, I'm not the leakiest guy in the world as far as crying, mm-hmm. you know. So my wife says, what are you doing? I said, well, <laughs> you know, um, you know, I'm just looking out the window and just thinking, I knew how many people in New York Metro I knew how few churches were there. You just have to be a heathen not to be moved by that, but that didn't mean I was called. She said, no, babe, I'm feeling the same thing. Mm. And so I went home, and I I talked to my pastor about it. He said, you know what? I I feel good about this. He said, but the good thing is, neither me nor you know anybody in New York Metro. And so this is going to be, if it's going to happen, it's going to have to be a God thing. Mm -hmm. I told Tracy Lewis, who at that time was the youth pastor at Ron Libby, uh, about that. Uh, the only person I told him was my pastor, and then he told Harold Linder. Well, Brother Linder and I had met each other once. We really didn't know each other. Uh, a few weeks after that, I was in Wisconsin, but Linder was in Wisconsin. He was preaching for Brother Putnam in Monroe, and I was preaching for Brother Grant in Madison. And we were we were supposed to tag team preach. How do you do that? A youth rally <laughs> on Friday night, mm-hmm. and so we got together to determine what we were going to do. We, we got together for lunch. Well, we never talked about the service. We just talked about New York. And he he offered to let us stay in New York and uh, kind of open that door. And so we came to New York, spent a week, and I literally felt like I was born in the wrong part of the world. 
uh, it just it, it was a calling. It was where mm-hmm. I was supposed to be. And out of that, that kind of kind of sealed everything. And then we went through the Metro Missions process and, and I came to New York, arrived in 2003. As you're talking, there's a word that comes to my mind, and the word is orchestration. And yeah. it, it yeah. just everything just starts falling into place. And, and you pointed out how you were feeling this tug or this, you know, call and then your wife felt it. And then as you shared it with your pastor, he was also in agreement. You know, to me, the will of God is always a process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think we, we think it's all going to be just laid out in front of us perfectly, but sometimes God will, uh, we even have examples of Scripture. Sometimes God will get us from point A to point B just to get us to point C, where He didn't, He couldn't have just got us from point A to point C for whatever reason. Maybe it's mm-hmm. our fault process. You have uh, the spies going over to Jericho, and God tells them to go spy out the land. Well, they get there; they don't spy out anything. You know, they mm-hmm. they they get chased and they run to Rahab's house, the, the, the local prostitute. But God could have never said, "Hey, go to Jericho and go to this." brothel, mm-hmm. go to this, mm-hmm. this prostitute town. Yeah. He couldn't have done that. So God leads us progressively, and I do think the voices of authority in your life matter. To me, if my wife had not been on board uh, with us coming, I wouldn't have come. If my pastor weren't on board, I wouldn't have come. And, we'll, you know, uh, going the Metro Missions process, there were several other boards that had to stand to give mm-hmm. their stamp of approval. Three actually, actually had oh, to. Wow. And so I felt like we were very secure. If this weren't the will of God, somebody somewhere would say, "I don't think so." And so we, we were we were not trying to make anything happen. We just wanted to follow what we felt God was doing uh, and let Him work things out. I think we get in trouble when we try to make something happen. We have uh, several ladies that listen to this program. Yeah, uh, what, can I talk from, from your wife's perspective? That must have been you moving across the country. That's a totally different culture, everything. What was her thinking right. on that? You know, my wife is always one of the greatest um, compliments, if you will, that she's ever given me is that she's never doubted when I've heard from God, and she's able to hear from God as well. Um, the only way, uh, from her perspective and from my perspective, looking back 13 years into this whole process Brother Mooney one time described it as when God unplugged your brain. Our mm. brains were just unplugged. We mm-hmm. we weren't thinking about um, the how huge the task was. We, we weren't naive, yeah. but we weren't afraid. Um, we matter of fact, in nine eleven, we were deputizing. We were um, in the um, Upper Peninsula of um, Michigan, and we were um, just honestly just dying to get here. I mean, it wasn't like we were scared to be here. We wanted to be here. And so uh, every step along the way, she's been very much a a team player and and wanted to be here. It was a calling. Um, And I think that's important. My my take is if she hadn't have felt called, then it might have been God's will, but not the right time. I just Mm -hmm. need to wait Mm -hmm. until she's ready. Because uh, we talked about family before. She's ever been as much of this church plan as I am. I mean, I know we, we always talk about the husband and talk about him being a church planner, but, you know, there are five church planners in my family, um, and everyone, even the one that just got on the bus to go to second grade, you wow. know, um, he, he's a church planner in his own right. 
And so I, from my wife's standpoint, she definitely, she is a team player, but she felt called as well uh, to be here. Therefore, she was willing to make every sacrifice. And, you know, it's just one of those things when you're when you're in the will of God doing that kind of thing, you don't even really realize it as a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It's just what it's what you do. It's what God's called you to do. Uh, I'm sure she could, my wife could speak better to that, but I, I but she was always on board. That's incredible. Player. Not that it was not that it was easy to leave family mm-hmm. and friends. That wasn't easy. It wasn't as if there weren't some tears involved. But in the in our heart of hearts, this is what we're supposed to do. And let's go do it. Let's have an adventure. This is going to be fun. Wow, what an adventure! <laughs> wow. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked a little bit about the Metro Missions program, and and this is something that you're now the coordinator uh, in this capacity. Right. Tell us a little bit more about the program and how someone can get involved in this area of church planting. Sure, uh, Metro Missions was started by Jack Yance years ago, uh, twenty five plus years ago. Uh, there are some that are seemingly just hear about it today or a year ago, but it's been around for a long time. And Brother Yance really pioneered it. He pushed it through, if you will, to become a part of the North American Missions Division because you have these huge cities that are just cost prohibitive to go into. And largely, that's largely the reason uh, you would think that there are not as many churches planted in these huge cities. So any any city that has a population, any metro that has a population of a million people or more, and we determine that by the metropolitan statistical area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can Google that. There's a list of those metro areas. That is uh, a designation that even the U.S. Census Bureau uses to determine what a metro is. Uh, any city that is that size, a district can request that that city be involved in the Metro Missions program. So not all of those cities are mm. a part of the Metro Missions okay. program, okay. but districts that want them to be can be. And then through the process, uh, if someone feels called to start a church, say, in uh, Los Angeles or Chicago or Tampa, um, and we have a list uh, on our website, which is Metro Missions dot faith that you could go to and see a list of the approved cities, you would first of all get the approval of your home district to start that church. Now, if it's the same district, it's, then you only meet one board instead of two. But in my case, I was meeting uh, the Arkansas district, and you don't always have to meet the board. It was the superintendent, the secretary mm-hmm. uh, of the state the district that signed off. And then I had to meet the New York Metro board to receive approval just to start the church. Uh, They have the Metro Missions application. Then that application goes to headquarters and the North American Missions Administrative Committee. That committee is made up of the executive uh, team of North American Missions, uh, as well as the uh, regional North American Missions representatives around North America, uh, the United States and Canada. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they will be really the the real decision-making process there will happen there. Um, as far as really uh, making sure that you're ready and, and this is a good move for you. Once that happens, it will be sent to the general board or the executive board, whichever one is in session at that time, uh, for final approval. After you're approved, 
then you deputize. We set a budget for you um, with your participation, and you deputize for no more than two years to raise your budget, and you can arrive on site and be there for five years, fully supported uh, to plant the church. The the reality is uh, sometimes we have people that that all sounds very interesting, and they're interested. They they were. They want to do that because it sounds like dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't know of anybody who goes to plant a church in the metro to get rich. Um, and the stark reality is, in five years, you are going to be very blessed if you're able to be full time, uh, because mm-hmm. metro areas largely. I mean, if you're winning just people who know nothing about God, it's a process, and so. Uh, it, this is not a way to make it easy to plant churches. It's just a way to make it even possible mm-hmm. for us to plant churches in metro areas. Our track record has been just phenomenal. When Brother Kuhn uh, was North American Mission Director, he would say that our percentages are that if we send out ten church planters, thirty of them will be success- uh, three of them rather will be successful. So thirty percent mm-hmm. will be successful. Seventy percent won't be. Our numbers are exactly opposite of that. We have a, a, a 74% success rate. Then when you add in the daughter works that we've planted, it, it becomes even more phenomenal. The mm. numbers are like 170-something percent success rate. So not every metro missionary has been successful, uh, but the vast majority have been. 74% of them have been. Uh, it's not just the money. It's the support of the, the uh, organization mm-hmm. uh, because you're traveling around, you're, you're raising prayer support. Uh, I would I would say if God is calling you to plant a church in a metro area, I would really look hard at metro missions uh, because it would be a uh, it's it's a phenomenal way to get the job done. Absolutely, you know, and, and you're talking about the support of the organization. Uh, I've I've noticed lately at the general conferences, which is coming up here in just a couple of weeks, that they are highlighting those uh, those missionaries. They bring them up to the front. They're really trying to push this and promote this a little more, you know. And right. and it's a need. Uh, I think as yeah. our as our culture is changing, we're becoming more metro focused, and you have yes. you have the higher concentrations of people. And I, I think this is definitely something that is beneficial, especially for young people. And maybe right. maybe a young person says, you know, I I don't feel like I'm called to plant a church, but how can how can I possibly help a metro missionary, whether that's funding or trips or or coming for a couple months or what is there anything like that that they could join in that process yes, yes all of those things funding uh, you, you, they raise monthly partnership just like a global missionary would coming for trips is is a huge thing whether that be with a group um, or whether that be them coming uh, for a few months uh, I'm in conversation now with a, a Bible college student looking at coming for an intern next summer and it's a win-win situation. Sometimes people come and their heart is just expanded and they'll they never leave. But either way, they're going to leave with a with a fresh understanding of the need to reach metro areas. And the way the world has become, all of us are more equipped to reach and start churches, I think, in a metro area than we used to be. Uh, the world used to be very much 
compartmentalized as far as, and I know there are different flares all over the country, uh, the way things are done, but because of the internet, because of uh, all the social media, we think a lot alike, you know, all the board. And so even somebody that is raised in a very rural area can very effectively go into a metro area and plant a church. And so I would say if you feel a call to do that, get involved, go to metromissions.faith and see where the metro missionaries are and go help them. Just a point of clarification, some people think that a metro missionary is anybody who's planning a church in a metro area. And theoretically, they are. But for the definition of the United Pentecostal Church, it's those who are under this program, anybody. And there are some people that it makes more sense not to go this route. Maybe they... Mm -hmm. Or an executive, or maybe they're they already have great paying jobs. Sure. Um, and sure. so, although they're not a part of this program, we do our best to come beside them and and cheer them on and support them in every way we can. We just want to see metros reached. Awesome! That is incredible. And and I think in the next five to ten years, with the emphasis we're seeing in our movement, uh, that yeah. this is going to be this is going to be a big big deal. So. I'm thankful there's people so. like you. Yeah, f- thankful for uh, that vis- vision, uh, the burden of our leadership. And uh, this is, to me, this is the area to be. We're, we're growing. We're developing the kingdom of God. And, and you're on the front yes. lines. When you're in that kind of ministry, you are on the front lines. Yes. Well, there's a phenomenal book called Why Cities Matter that really just lays out, it's really a manifesto of why we must reach metro areas. And it really goes all the way back into the, the book of Acts. That was the apostolic way. Mm. Uh, they reached the major cities, and then it impacted everywhere else. And that's kind of the way it always works. I mean, it's the cities who impact every other area, whether it be fashion or music or, or media. It, it always does that. And so the amazing thing is that we are seeing... A, a rush to the urban areas, not just of North America, but of the world. Mm. I mean, if you start wow. looking at the, 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 the 20 largest cities in the world, there's, there are quite a few of them I've never even heard of. And they're mm. the largest. I mean, there's 20 million people. It's just amazing. I think God is, I think this is intricately connected with the end-time revival, because God is bringing people together, and everything goes viral quicker. Yeah, if people yeah. are congregated together, and so uh, the worse the world gets, the brighter our light will shine uh, in the darkness, uh, not just in metro areas, but but in in metro areas as well. And God's going to give the great revival that we know He is is going to give. He is doing that. Amen, amen. And I want to just point out, we're going to these. I know you've referenced two books now, and, and some of the links that we have. We're going to put. Uh, links to those books and links to those websites okay. in our show notes. Uh, so okay. if, if if our listeners want to go to that, they can look for uh, Podcast 51 on uh, with Pastor Steve Smith uh, on our website at ministrymentorship.com. And and along those lines, you, you're talking about some of these books, and, and I understand you're an avid reader. Why is that so important to you uh, to be connected to reading and study and, and knowledge? You know, growing up, I was not one of those kids that always had a book in my hand. I, I did enjoy reading. I never enjoyed reading fiction, which was odd. Um, I like nonfiction, uh, more biographies, but I really wasn't an avid reader. It wasn't until I got out of school um, 
And I was out for a little while before it dawned on me that this is weird. All of my life I've been growing, I've been learning, and now I'm not. And Mm -hmm. I'm not in school, so Mm -hmm. if it's going to happen, I'm going to have to do it. And I just had this unquenchable desire to grow. Now, that being said, until uh, 2012, I really wouldn't have been called an avid reader because I'm a very slow reader. Uh, As far as me reading something off of print, it just takes me forever. And so the max, I've read 25 books a year. Uh, a, a sweet sister in our church gave me a Kindle for Christmas. I think it was in 2011. I never wanted a Kindle. I was one of these guys that <laughs> yeah. I like to hold a book in my hand. Mm-hmm. But I discovered that Kindle had this text-to-speech feature. Mm-hmm. And I am a very good auditory learner. Uh, and mm-hmm. so from that year on, I've read 100-plus books. And my oldest son says, Dad, you didn't read any of them. So I put <laughs> read in parentheses. Um, uh, And so wherever I'm going, actually, the busier I am, particularly in the metro area, the more I can, quote, read. If I have a lot of traveling to do, community to do, I'm reading most all the time. And so but it's it's important to me because uh, it was Charlie Tremendous Jones uh, who said the the, uh, statement, you'll be the same person you are today five years from now, save for the books you read and the people you meet. Mm. Um, And. Almost every major challenge in my life, I've read my way through them. Uh, if whatever it was, it started with overcoming in, uh, intimidation. But even if I struggle with something today, I'm going to go try to find the best books on that mm-hmm. topic. Of course, I'll ask mentors as well, people in my life. Uh, but it's generally in books that I get, I get the 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 understanding that I need. Um, and you know, now if you use Kindle, most books are nine ninety nine. If you get one idea out of that book. It's worth the price and the time to read it. And so it's it's a huge thing to me. I, I hate standing up to speak and really having nothing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through the process of growing, um, and if you're growing, your ministry is going to be growing. Absolutely. And there's more ways to grow than just reading, but reading is, is a, a, a big part of it. Absolutely. That's, that's so true. What are some of the books or resources that you'd recommend for young ministers some that have really impacted you. You've already mentioned a couple. Uh, are there any others right. that you, you feel like are important? Yeah, there, there are so many, but I will limit it to, to three. And um, it's all three happen to be from one author, uh, but it's not because I'm necessarily pushing this author. He is a good author. But Overcoming Intimidation, I've talked about. But John Bevere also wrote The Bait of Satan and Undercover. Mm-hmm. And um, those are books that I find myself recommending quite often. The Bait of Satan deals with offense, and if you're going to be in ministry, you're going to be offended. You're, people are going to hurt you. And then Undercover talks about authority, being under authority, which is so huge because you, uh, God's power flows uh, with authority. He, it's, if, you're, if you're rogue, God's not really going to bless you as if you're in a proper alignment. If you're in your place, God can use you in a great way. It's kind of like the military. Uh, a commander only has power because he's under authority. Mm-hmm. So uh, he can issue orders because he also is receiving orders. And just a f- those three books, to me, are a life changer. There's so many more that are phenomenal as well. But those three, for a, for a young minister to me, those principles, those concepts are, are important to get. You know, I would I would totally agree with that. I have been connected with both of these. I've been through the Bait of Satan series, 
And I've heard right. John Bevere teach on the undercover, and they are excellent, excellent resources. Just throwing this piece out there on the undercover aspect. I remember, if I remember right, he he also talks about how to deal with a leader that maybe is not right or yes. or yeah. And and this happens. This this does happen. And I've talked to a few that have said, "I'm not getting direction. I'm I'm not." Right don't feel like I'm uh, being helped in my ministry. Right. I, I feel like I'm struggling and, and maybe their pastor even is, has backslid or is, is leaving the truth or something like that. He, he talks right. about how to handle those situations. And so undercover shows Absolutely. you, it talks about how to, how to stay submitted. So thank you for that. Those recommendations, we'll put those links in there. What do you feel like are just some of the traits of a successful young minister? Well, I think a young minister has to be a lover of God and a lover of people first. Um, and, and it just comes down to, you know, we, we look at a lot of things that we, we call ministry, and it really is the fruit of ministry. We, we, we chase after success, mm. whatever that means. And it really starts with, being a lover of God and, and lover of people, uh, a lot of people that are, you know, so well known in the spotlight. When you get around them, this is really a core of who they are as well, mm-hmm. um, and they just love God and love people. Whether that leads you to plant a church someplace, and maybe you become the Scott Sistrunt who plants a church, gets it to a certain size, and moves on, and just does that over and over again. Or maybe you are the one that God calls to plant uh, to pastor the, the largest church in the district, but not everybody can pastor the largest church. The the issue is loving God and loving people. And then the second thing is we've already hit it, but be a learner. Uh, learn from anywhere that you can learn that that's beneficial. Uh, but learn the Word of God first of all, obviously. But but learn. Leaders are readers, and so learn. And then then thirdly. Determined to be a leader, so mm-hmm. I'm going to love God and people. I'm going to learn, and then I'm going to lead. And to me, leadership—if you don't do several things, the leadership will fall flat. You first of all just need to be faithful to the people over you. Uh, another great book along this line is the book by Gene Edwards, uh, "The Tale of Three Kings," um, mm-hmm. because you, you are going to see uh, the humanness of the people over you. Still be loyal. It doesn't mean you excuse sin. But, but be loyal and take a bullet for those who are over you and then be available. I would also say in available, that, that has a lot to do with attitude. You know, what, what is your attitude? An attitude of, of uh, we can get this done. I'm available. My hands are, are here to do anything that needs to be done. And then lastly, be teachable, which goes back to being a learner. So uh, that's, you know, in a nutshell, I mean, you could talk all day about the qualities that are needed, but loving God and people, learning and being a leader, and to be a leader, you need to be a follower, you need to be faithful, you need to be loyal, you need to be available and teachable, and that's kind of my play off the old fat thing. You know, mine's flat, because I think loyalty is such a, a mm-hmm. huge key to that. Awesome. What advice, or is there any other advice that you feel like would be important for a young minister that feels a call to ministry? Just learn to be a great follower. Sometimes in leadership, if you're not careful, people who are 
called into ministry that don't develop their ministry. You know, there are people who are, are going to be, and then there are people who want to be, and then there are people who are never going to be. And some of the people who are never going to be are the people who just never become good followers. They sit around and criticize. God's given them the ability to see some things that need to change. They're just not going to be involved in changing them because they're not willing to do that. So be a great follower. And, and to me, that goes back to submission. There's a great verse. I wish I had the reference um, in front of me, but it says, If the ruler of thy house rise up against thee, leave not that place, for yielding pacifies uh, great offenses. And so it doesn't mean you have to stay there. Of course, God doesn't want anybody to stand in an abusive situation. But there's something about submitting that God will fight your battles and God will take care of you. So submit and then uh, serve. Servanthood is that, that, if you will, missing key to many people's destiny. Uh, think about Isaac's wife. You know, the servant's gone and his job is to find uh, Isaac's wife. Now, that, that's a daunting task. Uh, the only thing I ever came close to doing that is when we moved to New York Metro to save money, to save one airfare ticket, we determined that we were going to look online and find some places, and then I was going to come and make the decision on where we moved. Well, that all sounded like a great idea <laughs> until I moved to New York. I, I landed in New York, and I thought, That's, this is stupid. I am gonna, my, my wife won't even see this place until we pull up with a U-Haul. Well, you know, house is one thing. You move to someplace else, but he's picking out her, his wife, uh, Isaac's wife. And so he says, God, whoever it is, basically make mm-hmm. her a servant. And we kind of overlook it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to ask her for water. She's going to offer to uh, water my camels. This was no small feat. Yeah. And camels can drink. This was, she was laying out a major amount of time to serve, but that servanthood became the doorway to her destiny. And you see that over and over again. You see that in David. We like to talk about the battle. The battle with Goliath is what catapulted. Not really. Hmm. It was when his, his dad said, take the ephah, basically the bushel. Take the bushel to your brothers. Hey, some of us would have said, well, I'm not going to do that. In chapter 4, I, I was anointed king. I'm, I'm the king. Get, get somebody else to deliver pizza. I'm not doing that. Hmm. I'm, I'm above that. But David was willing to do that. And when he was delivering the, the bushel, that's when he met his Goliath. And there's a call from God that calls to us, but there's also the call from, from Goliath. I think New York Metro is my wife and I's call from Goliath. And, mm. and when you get that call, everybody else is afraid, but you're like running to the battle. You know, you can't wait to get there because that's what God has called you to do. So serve in the midst of serving, uh, it's going to be a doorway to your destiny. And then uh, it goes without saying, you're going to sacrifice. You're going to have to do that. But sum up, just be a great follower. And and regardless where God leads you, unless you're the general superintendent of the UPC, and still in a lot of ways, he then submits to the brethren. Mm-hmm. We all will, will submit in some ways. So learn to be a good follower and a, a team player. Speak well of those over you uh, and serve them to the very best of your ability. Not to get anything, uh, just because you're you're happy to be a part of the team. Uh, I wonder, in closing, if you could just say a prayer uh, over that young person, uh, that pastor, that young minister, uh, middle-aged, whoever they are that's listening to this podcast. And and while you've been talking, they've been feeling that tug, maybe to Metro Missions, maybe to be a better servant leader, better follower. Uh, Maybe God's dealing with them somewhere in their life about uh, the next step for ministry. 
I wonder if you could just say a prayer over them uh, as we close today. Sure. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this ministry. I thank you for Brother Tapia and what, what you are doing through his efforts here. And I pray for every individual listening to this podcast today. God, we really want to be sold out to do whatever you want us to do, wherever that is, whether that be in a place where everybody sees what we're doing or whether that be in absolute obscurity. We want to do what you want us to do. It's it's not about us at all. It's about your kingdom. And God, most incredible thing that any of us ever have the opportunity to do is to, to be on your team. You, you could have done this all by yourself, your God, but you have invited us to participate in this process. And so, Lord, it, it doesn't matter if, if we get to bat or not. It doesn't matter if we even put on a uniform or not. It, it may be that we just are the people who clean things up. It doesn't matter. We're all a part of the same team, and the victory is accomplished because we have that opportunity. God, I pray that you will lead and guide each one of us in the process that you've called us to. Whenever we arrive where you want us to be, it's more than likely going to feel like you have just fired us from a bow and we're an arrow and we've gone directly to the target that you've intended for us. Now, in in the meantime, it's going to feel like our lives are going crazy and we don't really understand what's going on. But, God, we trust you and we will love you, we'll love other people, and we want to act redemptively in every situation to grow people in your kingdom for your purpose sake, God. We will be faithful to give you praise and honor and glory for anything that you do for us, through us, or by us. We give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Brother Smith, thank you so much for uh, your insight today, for being with us. And I wonder uh, if there's some young person that wanted to stay connected to your ministry, how would they, what's the best way to do that? They can connect with me on Facebook, very accessible there. They could also email me if they would like to, and my email address, I think, is on metromissions.faith, but I'll give it to you as well. It's revstevebarmith at gmail.com. Feel free to um, to email me there, Uh, and either one of those venues would get us started, and I would welcome an interaction that uh, anybody would want to have with me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, and it's been an honor to have you with us, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you here in a couple weeks at General Conference. Awesome. Thanks, my friend. You've been listening to a Ministry Mentorship Podcast with Jacob Tapia. Find out more about this resource and any links or uh, recommendations from this interview at our website, ministrymentorship.com. And uh, you can help us gain visibility by liking our Facebook page or leaving us a comment and let us know what you think about it. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. God bless.